This is Health Dose, a conversational podcast that tackles issues surrounding your health. I'm Jerry O'Donnell, and with so many students heading back to college this time of year, meningitis is again making headlines. Dr. Utebi Effiong is a certified internal medicine physician with MidMichigan Health, affiliated with the University of Michigan Health System. He is also a public health scientist and an international development fellow at the Aspen Institute. We asked Dr. Effion, what is meningitis? Meningitis is anything in a group of diseases that is caused by a type of bacteria called Neisseria meningitidis. Now, this bacteria, what it does, it goes into the lining of the brain and the spinal cord, and it causes inflammation there. And that inflammation is the inflammation of the meninges, which is the lining of the brain and the spinal cord, and that's what we call meningitis. But this is a serious thing because, as you can imagine, Inflaming the brain, inflaming the spinal cord could mean getting deficits from pain, things like pain, hearing loss, loss of consciousness, coma, and even death. Mm -hmm. And so it is a serious disease. What causes the meningitis? Is it one kind of bug or is it many or is meningitis just the swelling that occurs because of the bug? So interestingly, it is caused by several different organisms. Viruses cause meningitis, bacteria cause meningitis, and many different types cause meningitis. But the one we're concerned about which we have treatment for, or actually which we have prevention for, is the one caused by this specific bug known as Neisseria meningitis. It is more interesting because this bug causes the meningitis in epidemics, and so you have large-scale outbreaks of meningitis. And in places like Africa, you've got like swaths of land, countries, what we call the meningitis belt, the meningitis belt, all the way from the west coast of Africa, all the way to the east coast of Africa, and across a swath of land like that, and um, involving at least six, 16 different countries. And you could have an outbreak at one time affecting all those people at all that time. What causes the outbreak on such a massive scale? Is it the weather? Is it the way people interact? We would think the weather has something to do with it because of the region it looks like. So if you look at the map, it's really the region that is bounded by the Sahara Desert. And so we think the heat has something to do with it. We think the weather is a big deal, though, because when it happens most of the time, it happens in the cool, dry season when no, it's not so hot, very less humidity, but it really is there's a specific temperature zone, I think, mm-hmm. that the bug seems to thrive in. And at that time, it has those outbreaks occur. Then you have to ask, is it like the cold and virus where it's really not the weather conditions that causes the disease, but the fact that the cold weather drives us indoors with each other. You know, you know that could be something interesting. That could be something interesting too, because we find that in this during this period, this dry, cool periods, people tend to be more indoors, obviously, and and because of that, maybe it is it is the reason why people get to share the bug. But obviously, we know that people share the bug a lot more at that time, mm-hmm. and then we have these outbreaks occurring. We're yep. talking about this at a time when a lot of teenage and young adults are going back to college. Why is that such a big issue on college campuses? Why do we have the fear of meningitis associated with going back to college? Well, that's a very good question, though, because now bringing it back home here, and we just talked about the meningitis belts, you know, in Africa, mm-hmm. but back home, what we find is that certain groups of people are at risk for getting meningitis, and this include infants, college-age students, usually between the age of 16 and 23, people who, are, who live like in close quarters, like in military barracks, certain people who work in certain occupations like microbiologists also, and then people who are at risk for outbreaks in communities like in Africa, where you have the meningitis belt. And so this is something that the CDC recognizes as being a problem. Particularly, I would say, I would argue, for students going back to school, the age is just ripe. When you look at the graphs we have with the CDC, you find that there seems to be a peak of the 
disease occurring at this age group between 16 and 23. And these are just the people going into college, being in college, and interacting with themselves within close quarters. Is it because they're going to a different environment, perhaps, where they're not familiar with new people that they're meeting or people from other regions? What is it about the college setting that causes that? You know, I, I would think, again, the fact that people are living in close quarters and the fact that certain people are not immune to the disease or at risk for the disease, mm-hmm. because then that would add even increased risk. So you're going into a situation where you don't have, your underlying immunity is not strong enough at that point mm-hmm. or is weakened for whatever reason. And you're going into setting where there's so many people who may likely have this coming from where they're coming. Mm-hmm. And there's always that chance of interaction and a chance of spreading disease around. You mentioned headache. You mentioned loss of hearing. You you mentioned coma. It can cause death. It's a serious thing. It is a serious thing. And I, and I can say this not just as a this physician. Is a personal thing for exactly. you. Exactly. So not just as a physician or as a public health scientist who has studied these things in depth, but as someone who has suffered disease myself. And so I'm telling you what I know to be true. My story goes, again, back to the age of 17. I was 17 at that time. And I um, took a ride going off to college. So I lived in the West back in Nigeria, in the Southwest of Nigeria, and I was going off to college in the East. And so this was at the time we were having an outbreak. And just in the right season, just at the right time, just at the right age, I took this ride. It took me about 12 hours to go from Lagos to Calabar. And in doing that, by the time I got to Calabar, a few days later, I was ill. We never knew what it was because it was, well, it was just a headache. And so we took some Tylenol and I will feel better today. I'll feel bad tomorrow. I'll feel better today. Feel bad tomorrow. Just like that. I kept going to school until the day I passed out. Mm. I mean, I kept going to school every day. And then I was in the library one day after a lecture I held on a Saturday. Wanted to go study. Got my headache again. Started throwing up, which is one of those things that happen with mm-hmm. meningitis. People end up getting headaches, then throwing up. Mm-hmm. And then got in the library, said oh, I was going to take a rest. Took some rest, slept off, which was very unusual for me because I never sleep in the daytime. While I slept off, when I woke up, I could hardly walk. Mm. By evening, I was in a coma. I was in that coma, that particular coma, for 24 hours, I think. Mm. When I got up again, briefly, I regained consciousness. Somehow, I got back to hospital. I got into hospital, and I was in a coma for two weeks after that. Really? When I was done with the coma, when the coma was done with me, rather, I could not hear. Now, that was dramatic because the day I realized I couldn't hear, I went to watch Jesus of Nazareth on TV. This was during Easter period. I, I, I couldn't hear anything at the TV. I'm like, what's wrong with the TV? So I go up to the TV, put my button on my hand on the button, and boom, it was max. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that the TV is maxed out and I can't hear. And he's like, right. yeah, I never told you, but you really can't hear anymore. Well, somehow I could understand him because, I mean, I understood. I could read his lips and I thought I was hearing him, but really I wasn't hearing anything. And, um, yeah, since then it's been a struggle since then. I got over that bump. But, yes, meningitis is dangerous. I barely survived that. In my experience, having treated people, and this was many years ago, since then I have treated quite a few people with meningitis. And most people who get the disease at the age I got it died. Do you still suffer the hearing loss? Well, I mean, I've, I've improved it dramatically. I do still probably still have some of that re- residual effect, but um, nothing nothing to what it was in the You're functioning. Yeah, yep, nothing to what it was in the past. During that time when you were off a day and then you felt better and then you felt off, are you spreading that, oh, that oh, bug all over oh, campus? Oh, 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 you are. You are. I mean, that's the reality of the thing. I mean, you don't know. I mean, because folks think they're having a flu. Sure. And yeah, they're, they're spreading the bug because with everybody you can come in contact with, you, there's a chance that you're spreading it to someone mm-hmm. who isn't, you know, immune mm-hmm. to the disease. And so the, the truth of the matter is that even now, even in the U.S., 
This is not just something that happened in Nigeria. Even in the U.S., 15% of people who get the disease will die within 24 hours. That is how bad it is. We're talking about 10 to 15% of people getting diseases dying. And then up to 20% of people that get the disease have long-lasting effects, say, for example, hearing loss or some kind of deficit, you know, from one weakness that they never really had and they never really cover. And there are hundreds of people in our region right now who are doing the American version of moving to college campus and spending time indoors who are in that age group who are absolutely fit your profile and are going to go through the same thing you went through and may or may not be at risk. Who's at risk for meningitis? Again, the risk group for meningitis is so important to know this. Young children, infants less than one year age, but then the ones we're talking to right now, 16 to 23 years of age, young adults, people who have immune conditions, immune deficits that puts them at risk for anything anyway, mm-hmm. people who work in microbiology labs, and then people who are at risk for outbreaks in places like communities where we have outbreaks. So again, we, we're focusing on this group of young people. And the reason is because virtually every state understands this. There's two vaccines out there that can prevent or at least protect you against meningitis. So meningitis is a group of things. There's a group, there's the meningitis, the nasiria meningitis, there's A, there's B, there's C, there's W, there's, there's a Y type. Now, of all these types, four of them we are grouped and we have a vaccine that is good for all of them. And once kids are as young as um, the ages of 11, I think at about the age of 11, they begin to make, make sure they get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Now, most states agree that they should vaccinate for the so A, C, W, and the Y type. We could never get our acts together when it came to the B type, which we find to be the one that seems to cause a lot more trouble with kids of this young age group. I mean, ages between 16 and 23 now. So we seem to have an agreement on vaccinating people against A, C, Y, W, but not so much with the B. And the reason was because we never had a vaccine for the B. The first vaccine for B came out in 2014, and then the next one came out in 2015. So there's two vaccines for the B type. Mm-hmm. And now these vaccines are recommended for people who are at risk like this. Now, the problem is we've never really had a cohesive policy nationwide. Different states have different rules when it comes to who should get the vaccine. That puts us at greater risk. When you say different states have different rules, are we getting into a will my insurance cover it kind of thing or will my doctor be allowed to provide it? Interestingly, that's not the case. Both vaccines are covered 100%. Thanks to the Affordable Care Act and the Vaccine for for Children Fund, both vaccines are covered for free, mm-hmm. 100%. However, there isn't an agreement between the states and that is because there isn't, I would argue, leadership on the issue from the federal government because the CDC needs all the data to say, well, we are recommending this. The CDC does not mandate. They would say, well, it's a good idea. And the CDC currently says, well, doctors should have discussions with their patients and say, hey, this is probably a good idea because they're going off to college. Mm -hmm. But unlike the ACWY vaccine, it's a mandate. Like everybody needs to get this vaccine. So that's different from saying, you know, it's a good idea to get the vaccine. Right. Right. And so I think we need to get to that point where we agree there's uniform agreement across the states. Because the reason is this. In public health, you are not alone. There is no such thing as I am immune, he is not, and therefore I'm fine. The fact is, if he's not immune and you are immune, well, what about the other guy? Right. And what you're talking about is adding the mix of relatively small regions of the country where the rules are different 
And people crossing those lines, and that causes the that problem. Exactly Just the like problem. you crossing over the 12-hour journey to get to where you're going to college. You, you, you make the point well. You make the point very well. The fact of the matter with meningitis is, like every other infectious disease, we are all together in this. Mm-hmm. If you are not immune, then I am not immune. That is the fact of the matter. And in a college setting where there's people coming from everywhere in the country to this one college, if that state says, well, you can, this state says you must, and we have these incoherent views and policy, then we have a problem. You're talking about managing this illness from a macro standpoint. Our listeners are going to be managing this from a my child is going to college this year standpoint. What do you tell a parent of a college-age student to make sure is done before their kid goes to school? I would definitely recommend, definitely recommend that if your child is not vaccinated against men B, get that vaccine. Make sure they have the vaccines. Most schools will require that the vaccine at their K-12 schools, they will require the vaccination against ACWY. That almost is always the mm-hmm. case. The one that we lack is vaccination against men B, and that we need to get done. Mm. So again, consult your healthcare provider and make sure that you've got all of your records up to date and specifically the vaccine B. Correct. The vaccination for men B is so important, especially with kids going off to school. If your kid doesn't have that yet, make sure you talk to your healthcare provider. Tell them about what you've heard, what you know about men. Look this up yourself. It is a serious disease. It is preventable and the vaccine is available, and it is free. So let's talk about the vaccine B specifically. Is it readily available? Can my doctor, my regular doctor, provide it? Yes. So your regular doctor, whether that's an internist, a family physician, or a pediatrician, can recommend the vaccine when you go to see them. The questions I get often when people come to see me about vaccines is, well, what should I expect? People say things like, well, I got the flu because I I got the flu shot. Well, I don't know how true that is, but... We don't know of people getting meningitis from getting the meningitis, so that isn't an issue. The other thing is, well, what what do we know? We do know that people will get some soreness, some redness, maybe some swelling at the joint site. You could feel tired, fatigued for a few days. You could feel some headache. You could feel some muscle pain, obviously. Some people even get fevers. Others get nausea and diarrhea. But believe me, from someone who has gotten this disease, there's no side effects that you get from this that comes any close to getting the disease. Right. I would take the side effect any day than take the disease. Is it like the flu where it's different every year? Thankfully, no. It is one disease, and we know the, the way it does this, the bug gets into your system, gets into the lining of the brain and spinal cord, gets that inflamed, ends you up with neurological deficit. So it's the same thing all the time. We haven't had a problem with any changes. We do know that there's different strains of bacteria. Luckily, we now have vaccines against all the the strains that we meet commonly. And so there really isn't any reason not to vaccinate because we know that the vaccines work. We know the disease is bad and we know you can be protected and we know it is free to get the the vaccines. That is certified internal medicine physician with MidMichigan Health, Dr. Utebe Efiong. Dr. Efiong is a public health scientist and an international development fellow at Aspen Institute. Dr. Efiong shared his personal experience with meningitis in a TED Talk delivered in Berlin, Germany in 2014. As always, if you have health concerns, the best place to start is your primary care provider. If you need help finding a primary care provider, go to midmichigan.org doctors. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Check back again soon for another edition of Health Dose.